Welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your other host, Jane. And we're your favorite podcast all about the books of Rick Riordan. Today, we're finishing The Red Pyramid. Jane, how you doing today? I, I'm, I'm doing okay. I've spent all day like doing my own creative writing thing for a submission. So basically, I, like, I have to put my money where my fucking mouth is if I criticize this book in any way. <laughs> how are you today? I'm doing all right. I'm uh, enjoying a nice vacation uh, in in sunny yeah. old place that I am. Sunny old, don't dox me. That, that's exactly right. Um, <laughs> and you know, living my days happily. Enjoyed a nice yeah. slice of pie that I made. Not just me. I, I wasn't the only one who ate it, but I helped. So today, speaking of things that we create together... I believe we're creating a podcast together about the Red Pyramid. Today we we are finishing our Red Pyramid. We're putting the capstone on it with the last few chapters. And then we will unleash chaos into the world, inadvertently <laughs> bringing the serpent Apophis back, finally completing entropy, annihilating existence once and for all. A state of complete and total chaos is, frankly, the only reason I can think of why Nancy Pelosi is currently quoting Black Panther. All right, we have to continue. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Jane, in the spirit of cooperation, how about you do the summaries today? I will do those. Chapter 38. Carter. The house is in the house. Carter and Seth start beating the shit out of each other, but Carter quickly realizes that two giant gods pummeling each other in an enclosed space is going to cause Zia, Amos, and Sadie to get squished. So he blows a hole in the ceiling and drags Seth outside to fight him on the surface of the pyramid. Seth's demons, led by Face of Horror, are trying to lug the capstone back onto the top of the pyramid to complete it in time. As this is happening, Carter spots Desjardins entering the cave with a bunch of magicians. Any hope of them being effective reinforcements is quickly dashed, however, as the demon army starts mauling them. Desjardins tries to go for the capstone, but Set breaks from his fight with Carter long enough to ragdoll the Archlector. From there, Set is able to complete his pyramid and all seems lost, before Sadie climbs out of the air vent, glowing with magical energy. Chapter 39, Sadie. Zia tells me a secret. We rewind to the start of the fight, where Sadie is trying to tend to Amos and Zia. Both are grievously injured, Amos mentally and Zia physically. Zia tells Sadie not to worry about her, and imparts Set's secret name, Evil Day. Through Zia, Nephthys implores Sadie to force Set to help them rather than destroy him. Sadie's plan, rather than doing that, is to free Julius, hoping that the godly powers of Osiris will be enough to win the battle. But Isis cautions her against opening the coffin. When she tries, Sadie experiences a series of visions. First of the Land of the Dead, on the verge of total collapse. Anubis tells Sadie that the throne of the afterlife cannot be empty and has to be filled by the King of the Dead. Before Sadie can protest the full implications of this, she moves to a crumbling version of the Palace of the Gods. Completely empty as the deterioration of Ma'at enters its final stages. Bast is there and impresses on Sadie the importance of the throne of the gods being filled too. Finally, she finds herself in the throne room in the first gnome. Iskandar tells her that there must be a pharaoh again. Basically, there are a lot of thrones that need to be filled for the cosmic orders to be restored. Finally, she flashes to Cleopatra's needle and sees that Isis is basically egging Julius and Ruby on to do the thing that will kill Ruby, as uh, her mother's powers allowed her to commune with Isis. Sadie returns to the present, furious with Isis, but Julius's spirit exits the coffin to talk her down explaining that Isis didn't know that the process of freeing Bast would kill Ruby, and that it was ultimately her own decision. Sadie replies that she hates her father, and Julius tells her that's fair enough. He tells her that the most important thing to him and Ruby was laying the groundwork for Sadie and Carter to excel. At this point, Sadie has to leave and help Carter, so Julius disappears and Sadie ascends through the vent. Chapter 40. Sadie. I ruin a rather important spell. By now, Sadie's powers are going so crazy that she's half seeing everything in Duart vision, with everything much more abstracted. 
she uses the pyramid as a site of power to open a portal to Washington, D.C., and drags the whole structure through, causing part of it to explode and reducing her father to a fine paste, so that he can take his throne in the land of the dead, proving once and for all that she really would sacrifice her dad to save the world. There's no time to dwell on that, though, as Sadie uses the book and feather and name to bind Set. However, before she can deliver the killing blow, her duart vision shows her that Apophis is trying to bash his way through into the real world, hoping to use the pyramid as a conduit. After showing Carter and Set what she can see with the Feather of Truth, she decides to bind Set to keep as an ally against Apophis rather than killing him. Set is against this right up until Face of Horror returns and tries to kill Sadie. Carter gets him first, and in his last seconds, he reveals that he was possessed by Apophis all along, and that Set has been nothing but a pawn. Set signs on as an evil ally after that, and he gets put back in the duart after swearing to only cause trouble in the name of defeating Apophis. With Set banished, all that's left to do is deal with Dejaden. He orders the house magicians to bring in Carter and Sadie, and in response, the pair of them break their bonds with the gods, and Sadie proclaims that the house will have to learn to live with the gods again. Enough of Dejaden's followers are taken by, that, by this idea that he decides that killing them would be a bad idea, especially because he no longer has a justification of them being godlings, and he instead backs off to let them get taken in by the, by the approaching police. Zia dies in Carter's arms, but she doesn't actually die because, as Jacqueline predicted, she was actually a Shabti, with the real Zia being kept elsewhere asleep. The Canes grab Amos, turn him into a hamster for ease of transport, and make a run for it. Chapter 41 Carter, we stop the recording. For now. The trio eventually make it back to Brooklyn to find that Khufu and Muffin made it back to Amos's house, which would be nice if it hadn't also been firebombed. Over the next few weeks, they look after Amos and try to use their weakened magic to clean up the house. They're tempted to reconnect with the gods for a cheap power boost, but both Kanes recognise that's a really terrible idea. On one seemingly normal morning, Anubis rolls up and takes the siblings into the land of the dead one last time. This is so they can meet its new king, Julius, who has re-established the cosmic order. Sadie had to kill him so that he could come into his true power as king of the dead. It also means that he can chill with Ruby in the underworld who then comes out to see her kids. She gives Carter a new amulet, this one of Osiris' backbone to symbolise that he grew one in this book, and after some tearful reunions we move to the Palace of the Gods. There, Isis and Horus offer to possess Carter and Sadie for added extra power, and when they refuse again, Horus accepts their answer, and ascends to the throne of the gods without a host, with no challenges. They tell the Kings they have gifts to express their, ga- their gratitude, and then send them home. The first gift is that the house is fixed up. Carter dresses like a normal teenager for once, and Amos, while not recovered, is well enough that he's going to travel to the first gnome for more intensive treatment. Carter and Sadie realise they'll need to travel around training kids with the blood of the pharaohs to host gods, since the House of Life won't do it anymore. And to do that, they'll need an adult to help them get around, which is the second gift of the gods. Bast is back. At this point, we return to the present of the audio recording that the book is based around where it's explained that the object mentioned at the start of the book is the backbone amulet, left in a locker for a kid with latent magic powers to find if fate has led them to listen to the audio recording. And that's the end of the book. So, what did you think of these chapters? So, uh, <coughs> not used to talking anymore. I, I didn't talk for like 10 minutes, and now I don't know how to talk. <laughs> well, I, I talked for 10 minutes, and now I don't know how to talk, so it's fine. That's entirely fair. Um, so... This is how I wanted the ending to go. This is what I wanted the ending of the Red Pyramid to be like. Mm-hmm. I am, for all intents and purposes, very, very happy with how this book ended. I, I think it had a shaky start. I think we started really picking up in like the, the second half. Um, and now that it's finished, I think I get... I I basically get what Rick was going for here, if you know what, you know what I mean. Yeah, definitely. I, I've... I can see that too. I could also see at the end of this book why the King Chronicles is kind of like the unwanted stepchild in the Thoriadin verse. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> well, what's your theory as to that? Why do you say that? I just, I... They're kind of what I feared that Percy Jackson was going to turn into after Sea of Monsters. Really? Yeah, like a uh, basically okay kids' book series with mythological elements thrown in so that they can be assigned as like educational reading in schools. Mm. And like I think there's there's definitely potential in this book for like the sequels to go beyond that. But I think that's about the level that this lands on. 
I think that's true. I, this didn't really excel in any way. Like it, it's mm-hmm. it wasn't like my least favorite book we've read so far. It's I actually did like it quite a bit, but it's definitely not like as bad as Sea of Monsters. No, but like I I think the thing is that just like it it really doesn't it doesn't like super excel. It's not the greatest, but. I still think it's like a pretty good book. It's pretty fun. And I think it could have a lot of potential in the sequels. Yeah, definitely. Uh, should we should we save more wrap-up-y thoughts for a bit later on? And maybe like deep dive into the chapters for now? Yeah, I think so. I'd, as much as this is like a good finale, I do feel like the fight between Carter Horus and Set was a little bit underwhelming. You think so? Yeah, I feel like... It kind of fell into a trap that we were praising um, Percy Jackson for not falling into early on, which is like, a lot of it does just kind of feel like Rick listing moves to do in a fight without a lot of like weight or context behind them. Yeah, that's true. I think I actually ended up having a pretty good impression of this fight. Um, and I Interesting. Think that maybe the reason that is, is because it does kind of feel like you know the moves are flowing like you know one after the other like oh here's this sword move here's this attack Mm -hmm. but that comes off markedly different when we have had like carter's i guess carter's various combats throughout the book have been described like we know that he is not the kind of person who can just like throw out moves like this i suppose that's true yeah and so him like it kind of brings out like the oh he's like synchronized with Horus now. It it, it like mm-hmm. ha- helps that, and I do still enjoy like Set being just like an absolute corny motherfucker. I Set I think has been quite an underwhelming antagonist. Uh huh. But like the last minute charisma injection he's gotten has me like legitimately excited to have him as like evil fucked up ally who we can't totally trust. Yeah, like, at one point he, like, pushes Carter Horus off of the pyramid, and he's like, have a nice trip, and he winks. And <laughs> that's... It's not even a pun on anything he's doing, he just says it. Yeah, it, he doesn't, it's, this is also the same scene where I finally realized why the book is called The Red Pyramid, but that's, uh... I... Jacqueline. <laughs> Listen. Jacqueline. <laughs> i just i wasn't sure um uh, oh and another thing like imagine if you were just like brawling with someone in the street and suddenly they like grabbed you by the shoulders and looked you in the eye and said you're a fruit bat now that okay i do love that bit yeah and i love the set's response is not like what the fuck are you talking about it's like no no I'm not a fruit bat. No. <laughs> no. Him like slowly shrinking into a fucking corn cob. <laughs> it's the same. It, Fuck. It's the exact same energy. Slowly shrinking into a fruit bat while insisting I'm not owned. That's exactly the that's exactly what's happening. It's exactly right. <laughs> I really I I guess that's maybe why I'm a little negative on the rest of the fight. Uh-huh. Cause I feel like that would have been such a like a good conclusion to it. Just him turning... Yeah, just Cut, like, grabs him and turns him into a fruit bat. Because we've had fruit bats come up again and again in this book. Right. Just I feel like that would be a fun payoff for that. Yeah, that's true. I think ultimately the way that it does end, like, two chapters later, is pretty decent. Yeah, I guess it would actually, like... We spent, like, half the book going on fetch quests for all this crap to do this spell, and it would be a little bit... It would feel a bit like we'd waste our time if we could just turn him into a fruit bat all along. Right. And I still think that the moment of, like, him turning him into a fruit bat, him becoming an eagle, and them going through the, you know, sassy vent is pretty, <laughs> like, I think that that's a good, like, pivotal moment in the fight. Speaking of pivotal moments in the fight, um, the, the mental image of, like, Set pushes down Carter, turns around smacks Desjardins and just like sends him flying like a fucking bugged out source engine model is the funniest shit I've ever read. (laughs) 
It's really good because Dejardin comes in. He's trying to come in with like the epic save and be the big hero. <laughs> and he just immediately gets clowned on. Like it's literally described as like a set uses his staff like a baseball bat and he sends him flying down the side of the pyramid. It's like, Looney Tunes. I, le- I legitimately, I do not understand how Dejardin is alive. Like most of his internal <laughs> organs should be splattered on the pyramid. Well, because it's Looney Tunes, he's able to be alive. <laughs> but when he, but we have to know that when he comes back to life, his his cartoon underwear are described. God, he is. He's wearing the fucking cartoon pink boxes that like Elmer Fudd will wear if he shoots himself with the gun. <laughs> I, I think what makes it. So, I think what makes it so that I can't like really dislike any of this is that it's just really fun to think about oh no to be clear i this is completely incongruous with the tone but i also it's also just really funny yeah exactly i also want to make a a quick correction uh to last episode where i because i said the uh face of horror died yeah i mean i to be fair i thought he died as well a face of horror is still alive in fact (laughs) He's still alive. He's actually an extremely plot critical character. I I guess I should have guessed this. Should you? I don't know. We get Face of Horror early on, and he is like doing the like, you know, evil like chancellor oh, yeah. guiding guiding the king thing. I forgot about that. Yeah. I d- see. That's actually, I guess, in hindsight, a really good scene because at the time that read to me just as like. You know, Set is a dick who steals his minions' ideas and then claims they're his own. But in hindsight, yeah, it absolutely reads as uh, Apophis being a manipulative asshole. So that's that's a really good, nice little bait and switch there. Yeah, Apophis, I'm actually really digging so far as like just this embodiment, this big snake in the air who is like embodying Isfet. And like, what was there's like a specific line that was like, the whisper of my voice has caused all this to happen. Mm-hmm. I thought that was just like, ooh, kind of what a, a like a chilling line. It's a chilling line. I hate to draw the immediate comparison to PJO again, but it does read a bit Chronos. It's a, I mean, it's a bit Chronos, but I feel like there's less. Um, I don't know. To me, there's a bit less intention in Apophis so far. It feels more like influence. Like this is the influence of Apophis rather than the machinations of than the machinations of Apophis. I really hope that that's like the direction that the, that this goes with going forward, because that would also address one of our big complaints about this book, which is just anybody who's into chaos is just a cackling evil overlord. So if we have Apophis being more of like a force of nature, who just like embodies the concept of chaos, that would really help with that. Definitely. And I also, I really appreciate how this fight ends with Set. I like that he's not, like, just, you know, destroyed forever, but is instead, like, he, like you said earlier, becomes an ally. Because, I don't know, something about them having Set on their side, it, it, it ties pretty well in with, like, oh, you know, he's family, and, like, like... I guess just the idea that the magicians need to get back in touch with the gods mm-hmm. um, and like the order of the gods and that like, I guess them kind of rejecting the idea that the gods need to be like outright, like we have to destroy them to fix things. Yeah, definitely. Like if, if even set can be cooperated with, it shows that like there's some value in going back to uh, doing things with the gods. Also, I just really like, yeah. I always like the dynamic of having, like, a former villain locked in a cage who you sometimes use to solve new problems. It's the chivalry, it's like, it's like the Hannibal Lecter thing, kind of. Uh, yeah, exactly. You put, you put a fucking muzzle on the CGI dog man, you strap him to a trolley, and you bring him with you to mysteries. And I really enjoy, because we get the whole thing with Sadie in her chapters, where, like, she has, like, the double, like, the duo and the mortal world vision going on. She's having fucking... Neo at the end of Matrix Vision. That's that's like exactly right. And like <laughs> I enjoy that while she sees like Set being like normal guy trapped in like, you know, trapped in the ropes, he she's also like simultaneously seeing his like raging power still like 
barely mm-hmm. subdued. Uh, we also get Seth's uh, secret name here. Do you? Uh, which I'm I'm actually pretty satisfied with this with this uh, because I I just kind I of mean, like I I had no real expectations about what it would be, so I'm willing to accept this. Yeah, no, it's not like oh the the big reveal of Seth's secret name, but I think mm-hmm. because it's not that, it does work pretty well because I think that. <sighs> Something about the cadence of the line, Set's name, it's Evil Day. Set was born and it was an evil day. I I enjoy just like the rhythm of it. Yeah, definitely. Zia is very articulate for someone who is bleeding out on the floor. Well, I guess that's, uh, I guess that's the benefit of being a Shabti. I guess so. Uh, Although, to, to move on to your extremely correct theory, well done. Thank you, thank you. I will accept any rewards in a patreon subscription dollars and <laughs> your your reward uh, from the gods is that a cat girl in a leopard print bodysuit will also turn up at your door wow i <laughs> one one can only hope i suppose but yeah um so zia we this we finally get the conclusion to all this zia stuff or not the conclusion but kind of i guess the setup going forward zia is mm-hmm. like somewhere She's somewhere. I find it extremely funny that, like, Carter and Sadie have, like, the same horrific questions about that whole situation that we did. Uh-huh. Where it's like, was that, like, a different sentient being that was created and we don't actually know the reals here? Which I, I was kind of expecting the book to just hand wave that bit, but I find it interesting that they're actually going to talk about it. I like that they're making it the question. I like that after having gotten to know and, like, kind of becoming friends with this character... They're having to worry about, like, will will we still have the same relationship when we find the real Zia? Like, I enjoy mm-hmm. that that's where this is heading. Yeah. What do you think of the the big, the chair dreams? So, yeah, yeah, the, the chair dreams, Sadie goes through a series of visions that are basically saying, like, oh, we need a lot of new rulers. Uh, we need someone to fill in, the, you know, ruling the you know for Ma'at we need like someone Butts in the seats. underworld we need a new a new pharaoh we need new new people everywhere i think to borrow something that you've you've said quite a few times it's Uh-oh. it's like broadly setting up the shape of the story for the future mhm or at the, at the very least like the throne the throne of the pharaoh stuff is i guess like two of these seats have been filled by the end of the book yeah that's true and that ties into like I don't know, the the themes fairly nicely. I just find it extremely funny that it's like three ghosts in a row telling Sadie to kill her dad. <laughs> <laughs> and and she doesn't, you know, she's, you know, uh, it's like that sometimes in your dreams. I know, I, I know I'm missing the nuances a little bit here, but she really does like get told by a ghost to kill her dad, tells her dad she hates him and then drops a pyramid on his head. Yeah, that's that's what happens. Uh, <laughs> I really do enjoy like Sadie's whole con- whole character arc here because I think it kind of wrapped oh, back around to something that I, that I wasn't expecting it to go back to, which was like Sadie's really complicated feelings about her relationship with her dad. Mm-hmm. Like obviously that's how this is going to conclude, but I guess somewhere along the way I just kind of forgot that that was Sadie's character arc. At the, at the time, it kind of read more as just a, like, you know, here's, here's a little bit about where Sadie's priorities are in relation to Carter's. But it does make sense that it's come back and the end of the book is, like, that one picture of the crying cat holding a gun towards the camera. Yeah, and, like, this has been the question since we heard Anubis say, like, could you kill your dad for fucking... Mm-hmm. Uh, if, it, if it would save the world. And... Would you kill your dad for a packet of gummy bears? Would I do that? I don't think I would. I don't I don't know if I like gummy bears enough to do that. <laughs> but there's something very genuine in like Sadie's her anger and her like just like sadness and her grief all coming in all for full force at once. And like her finally being able to like confront her dad and release all those emotions at once is really cathartic. Oh yeah, definitely. Like I'm glad that she got to have this moment because any way you slice it, Julius has kind of fucked her life up and she deserves to be able to say that to him. No, definitely. And I like that I like that Julius is taking this broad view where he is like, Oh, 
this is not like my time. This is this is time for me to let my kids like get their feelings out because that's what's important. Mm-hmm. Actually, I I do have a question about something that comes up in this conversation though. Uh huh. What does it mean to have strong blood? Um, I guess your blood has the most magic in it. This is the question, right? Because either that, or it's like the most viscous, and therefore like forms scabs quicker. Oh well, I I wouldn't hate that. You know, I would love just like very quickly scabbing skin. Yeah, but this is like a something that comes up and is very like unquestioned, I guess, in a lot of media. Is just the idea of like having str- a, a strong blood or like a like a powerful magic bloodline. And, I mean, Sadie does have an extended hallucination about how cool monarchy is and how it needs to be used to restore the cosmic order into its natural place. I mean, so. right. Like, this is, <laughs> like, once more, despite anything we may have said earlier about, like, oh, it's kind of interesting that this book is, you know, maybe questioning the idea that the balance of the world hinges upon, you know, the idea of a pharaoh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it kind of ends with, rather than, like, a rejection of that idea, it ends with a rejection of the idea that that has to be Carter's place. Mm-hmm. Like it does yet. It do, right that that's currently <laughs> Carter's place. It's saying that he can take his time to mature and grow, and when he does mature and grow, then he can be the pharaoh. Then he can be the unquestioned autocratic ruler. That's right. Um, and this is going back to a lot of my just like really common criticisms of Rick Riordan, which is that he's not super interested in criticizing things like just like the order of like a lot of the order of things. Yeah. Like it, it's, it doesn't read like he's saying that, I don't know, America should abolish the government and restore the monarchy or anything. It is just like regurgitating those tropes without really examining them. Right. I think that's, it's kind of the same thing with the idea of, like, strong blood. Mm-hmm. That's, that's my view, at least. Yeah, definitely. I do think it's a little bit of a shame that, like, that this is kind of what we've gone back to as, like, what marks you out as special. Because this is what we had with the Half-Bloods as well. And that was at least, like, you know, it's not being part of a strong bloodline, it's one shithead god had a random fling with your mum. Or something. Whereas in this case, it is like you have to have an unbroken line of highly inbred pharaoh blood to be special, right? Or like, well, I guess we don't know that the pharaohs were incredibly inbred. Most royal families are. Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, I guess what I mean to say is like by the end we come back to like we come back to this kind of and like Carter and Sadie and I actually I I kind of want to. I don't know. I kind of want to come back to something we said at the very beginning of like Uh-oh. the opening of this being kind of a copy of like just how like the lightning thief opens. Mm-hmm. Um, and say like, I think this is a moment where it kind of differentiates itself Oh, because it ends up, or actually what I mean to say is that it, it differentiates itself through its similarities because it comes back around to this like idea that you the reader could be like descended from the pharaohs and have strong magic and that maybe you're mm. the kid that Carter and Sadie are looking for and i think that changing from like a very direct like opening of the book hey you you're hearing the story maybe you're a demigod to like kind of making it the like a subtle mystery throughout the book of like what's going on with carter and sadie oh they're looking for you and that that being kind of the reveal at the end i think that's it it, it, it it's a different perspective on that same idea at least that's that's interesting because i thought it was just an attempt to replicate the lightning thief thing but shittier and with a, and introducing a framing device that kneecapped the whole book <laughs> i mean <laughs> maybe that's also true is the thing <laughs> but, yeah and also i i resent that it comes after bast comes back oh yeah so i feel like that would have been a much more natural and happy place to end the book yeah i was kind of surprised that they chose to like go back to well okay it doesn't even end there because then we get the author's note which is where the book actually ends 
<laughs> we get uh the author of like this recording being like we may never know if the canes were telling the truth or making up stories but much of this is based in historical fact and blah 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 it's rick ryden saying look how much research i did look how accurate this all is i did such a good job mm. i don't i wouldn't go that far <laughs> I un- i'm exaggerating a little but that is how some of it reads that's true it it does kind of read like hey you know what pr- pr- i did a pretty good job in my research <laughs> like on one hand it's like okay like you know give yourself a little bit of credit for that sure but also like ending the book like that does it's it's kind of a funny feeling it it really just makes me want to discard this whole framing device next book I'm, i really hope it's not another like recorded tape Bad fucking news. I swiped ahead in my Kindle version, and the first line of the next book is, Hello again, Carter here. Okay, well... <laughs> Fuck. I guess we're stuck with this. Because <sighs> you can't really do it for the first two and then discard it in the third. I mean, you can if I, you're I smart. mean, I hope he does, but... You know, okay, well, what I have to say, and I need you to be my therapist here for a moment okay i'm i'm sitting in a chair and i'm saying i hate when bloodlines are made into this big important magical thing that represents power etc and i need you to mm-hmm. nod and say of course I'm, I'm nodding and saying of course and now i'm saying but i love when the descendant of the pharaoh fuses with a god and transports everyone to washington dc uh (laughs) and i need you to say who doesn't i mean no you're right that bit does rule yeah it's 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 very good it's just like sadie we get like the suspenseful kind of like like oh sadie appears and she's fused with isis which has never happened in this book like this is the first time Mm -hmm. and then we you know step back and take like you know, see what everything that happened from Say's perspective as this book likes to do. And then it kind of fulfills on that suspense pretty well. I, I'm annoyed that I made a prediction for this scene that um, didn't turn out to be true. <laughs> I'm going to piddle on it just because you liked it. What was it? Okay, hang on. Did we know that gods can use portals during the demon days? That feels like new information. I'm not sure. I mean, I can look it up really fast. Even if that isn't new information, I feel like there was a much neater solution that was set up earlier. What's that? You could, One of the places of power, like times of power that you can use to create a portal is a god's birthday. So I thought that like right at the like crack right. of dawn, as Set's plan starts to go off, Sadie uses that to open a portal. Which I don't know, that feels like it would have been neater than dropping in a like, just, this person is accepted from this rule, actually. And also, even if even if that was established earlier, I just think it would have been like it would have made for a more impactful moment to have set be like, "Aha! It's hit the exact moment I've been waiting for. Everything is working." And then Sadie like uses that to like fuck everything up. Okay, I I don't disagree. This was set up pretty di- directly. Fuck. <laughs> because I I went back and I looked. Uh, chapter 24, the very, like, the second to last line of it, or chapter 23, rather, Professor Thos' final exam. Uh, how did you uh, do that, I asked. Bass said, we can't summon portals during the demon days. Uh, mortals can't, Thoth agreed, but a god of magic can. Which is, like, word for word what Sadie says to Set. Well, fuck. I'm really off my game today. How many of my problems with this book are just me being dumb and not reading it properly? <laughs> I don't think that's you being dumb. We have read it's been weeks and weeks and weeks since we've read that. I suppose that's also true. I feel like what this is setting up is kind of an expanded cast for the future because it looks like they're going to go out and try and recruit more kids, right? Yeah, it kind of seems like they're going to be trying to run their own little like Egyptian camp half blood. I guess it's camp full blood. I guess so. Um <laughs> This seems, that yeah. seems like a disaster waiting to happen. What? It, it does. I Because like I, we know they're going all over the world. They'll be recruiting just like a bunch of random kids who... I don't... I, this, it seems... I, it, it seems like kind of a disastrous plan. Besides everything, anything else, 
not everybody's parents ritualistically kill themselves before they turn 12. So, like, they don't <laughs> all have the freedom to... <laughs> that's... <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> that's the thing. Um, I wonder... Are, are Like, maybe they will just have to become, like, literally Camp Half-Blood for, like, descendants of the pharaohs. Because, like how else will they be able to train kids in magic? Because to me, this feels like they're going to become like an alternative school to the house of life. Which I guess means they have to be the, like the outside of death. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Jane. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Um, <laughs> the house of life is currently ruled by a comedy Frenchman who literally experiences Gary's mod ragdoll physics. So at that point, maybe burning it all down and starting again is not the worst idea in the world. Yeah, they're building alternative, like, power structures. They're creating, like, you know, they're creating different things to support people. They're trying to, you know, make things. They're trying to do what they can, create create the things that they need to better the world. Only for pure-blooded descendants of the pharaohs, though. Right, right. I actually really like everything going on with Amos in these chapters. Poor fucker. Amos in these chapters is like going through it on every level. Like he's almost entirely sapped of his magic. He's depressed. He's just like psychologically broken. I feel personally called out by the way that he just kind of bums around the house in a dressing gown, staring oh. at things and lying on the couch and not really doing anything. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> it's it's a little bit too relatable. But overall, like apart from all the frustrations I just really enjoy kind of the mundanity of the ending with like them just being in like Brooklyn. What is it? The Brooklyn house. And just kind of like mm-hmm. we get like the picture of them like rebuilding it over months. Like they keep talking about how like they're, they'll do a little bit of magic, make some repairs. And then because they've they've separated from the gods, um, the magic will just like knock them out for like 12 hours. And then they wake up and start doing it again. Something about like the repetition and just like how, how like not down to earth, but just like how I guess grounded in this reality that is like how this chapter of kids doing chores while their depressed uncle is like (laughs) being traumatized on the couch around them, fixing the place up that really like touches me, I guess. Yeah, no, it definitely feels like, as much as it is kind of still like in the magic world, it feels like them coming home in a way and having just like a little bit of uh, breathing room and normality. Yeah. And then they descend into hell to speak to the ghosts of their dead parents. Yeah. And that I, I we haven't really talked about that much, have we? Uh, <laughs> this is, this is pretty, this is good stuff. I think. It's de- I was getting ready to um, piss all over it because like, not only can they speak to their dad again, but their mom is back. But the book makes it very clear that, like, this is not just a resurrection button. There are still consequences here. Now, these these are dead people. Uh, and obviously that means a little bit less because they're also, or at least one of them is also, like, a god now. It, I mean, he's a god, but also, like, a hybrid of this weird blue cockless man. Right, he's a, he's a zombie god. He's, like, double dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is properly, like, going through on what was set up before. Like, this isn't, like, walking anything back. This isn't walking consequences Mm -hmm. back of the character's actions. But it's not, like, cruel, I guess, either. Like, we get to have this time for them to be able to, like, talk and have this really just, like, genuinely happy moment where they talk to their, like, mom for the first time in years. And I I think it's really nice. Yeah, it definitely, it hits bittersweet as opposed to just sweet. So it's just, it's a nice moment. Yeah. So I guess like related in like the scene, uh, Sadie's like 12, Mm -hmm. right? Something like that. She's like not, she's like described as like like 12, I think. And Carter's like 13. 15. He's 15 apparently. Although that might be the end of the series. I don't know. I'm just looking at the wiki. Oh, well, stop looking at the wiki. I'm only looking at the profile thing. The wikis are always like, oh, deceased. Oh, they died. 
uh, literally always in the profile thing. I didn't even look at that. Apparently he was involved in a whitewashing controversy on the covers of Kane Chronicles novels. <laughs> Alright, I've tapped out, I've tapped out, I've stopped. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, okay, it's describing her here as 14, uh, so mm-hmm. that's better than I... Th- I was gonna say, if, if she, I, I thought she was 12 uh, for a while, but 14 makes more sense. And I was ready to get kind of mad about them hinting at a relationship with possibly Anubis. Yeah, I think they've rick's done the no dna thing on this and said like anubis is basically like his his personality gets recycled so he's actually not that old or something like that right i'm fine with all that honestly like this this is actually like a completely moot point now that i now that the age thing is corrected in my head yeah also oh you know what even if that is corrected Really fucking weird that he says, uh, by Sadie, it was stimulating. <laughs> I. A little weird. A little weird. A, a little weird. I can tell that, like, this this dude does not talk to a lot of people. He spends most of his time around corpses. That's incredibly true. And you know what? Rick Riordan is pretty good at writing weird teenagers who only hang, hang out with corpses, so I guess I'm looking forward to more of that. <laughs> Oh yeah, isn't the other one getting his own standalone novel now? Hey, that's very true. Hey, speaking speaking of questionable Rick stuff. Sure. Uh, he just had to get one in, one last kind of weird line in before the book ended. What's that? Where Carter puts on the extremely normal like um, outfit of a hoodie, a t-shirt, and some jeans. And he comes down and says to Sadie, Dad would probably think I look like a gangster. Yeah, I mean, it's a little weird. I think there's, like, we already have established that Julius is, like, super strict about, like, you always have to dress super fancy. Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, it's it's in character, I guess, just in light of a lot of the other shit we talked about in this book. It's one of those things where I'm, like, side-eyeing it. Uh, yeah, I get that. I, I do like that Carter's character arc for this book ends with him putting on, nor- like, normal people clothes, I guess. <laughs> Just oh like, yeah, that line aside, I, this is a decent ending for his arc. Definitely. Like, he's 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 no longer stuffy nerd, he's become normal boy nerd. And well, he's kinda he's stepping out from under his, his dad's shadow. Definitely. Like this is part of his maturation, this is part of him becoming his own person. And I, I really appreciate that. You know, hmm. in a lot of ways, I guess tying back to more general thoughts on the red pyramid i think that this is a lot more of a straightforward like young adult coming of age novel than percy jackson was that's very true i think because i think ultimately the themes here are largely about like you know growing to be like a a, like the pressures of growing up and like your parents and how they affect you and how your feelings about that growing up and who will you become like it's fairly straightforward stuff not in, like a bad way it's not bad that this is mm-hmm. that, the, that this book is exploring those themes um but i do think that it's just like true that this is more just like normal i guess like normal kids book i don't know it hits all the normal stuff about maturing as a young adult. There's like going out into the world and trying to find out who you are, dealing with the like the repercussions that your parents have on your life, killing your first slave. You know, all of these things are essential points to becoming a full and mature person. Yeah. Um. Wait. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, Jesus Christ. Um. Jane, what do you think of the Red Pyramid? No, wait. Fucking, you were right. Carter did kill Doughboy. He doesn't come back. Okay, he doesn't come back. But I maybe maybe he'll come back next book. I hope he does, because it's really fucked up if he doesn't. Not, I don't like him, but like, what the fuck? Is he just still in that truck? I I hope not. Wait, but he wasn't there with them at the battle. Yeah, they just left him in the cab. Maybe, maybe they just like dispelled him. Like they're like, okay, go back into the duat and 
Oh my god, wait, no, either he died, or they ditched him in Arizona, because they all went back to Washington and then went straight to uh, Brooklyn from there. Oh god. So he's just like, he's just still outside the mountain in the van waiting for them to come back out so he can give them a lift. Bass found her way out of Alabama, but now Doughboy is there too. (laughs) He's just like traveling the country. This is going to become a ghost story in the future. Like people will tell this tale of the just like empty coat that drives trucks around. One time my mate Steve got to look inside the coat and it looked like someone had spat a wad of gum on the back of it. (laughs) Oh, so the red pyramid the Red Pyramid. Jane, what's what's your verdict on this book? Uh, this book is a fucking mess, but there are some decent ideas in here, at least. I think it's a pretty fun read. Yeah, I, I <laughs> it's it's messy. It's super messy, but I I really enjoyed revisiting it. Ultimately, I'm glad. I'm trying to think of ways to fix like the problems I have with it, but the plot is such a like a. a garbled mess of like interconnecting factions and ideas and different fetch quests for different MacGuffins that like I think you would need to like burn it down and start again with a full rewrite to really like address anything so I don't know maybe this is as good as it could have been yeah I think it has a lot of interesting ideas like you said and a lot of those interesting ideas are executed on pretty well a lot of them are I don't know a lot of them are done to their full potential but I think that it just doesn't come together into the whole it needs to be. And I think like you mentioned kind of early on that you think that there was some like, there's probably some like mid writing direction changing. And I think that really comes through and like the mm-hmm. ultimate impression that it gives off. Yeah. Again, it feels like it kind of found the story it wanted to tell as it went rather than starting with that idea and then developing it across the course of the whole book. Yeah. Um, and that's unfortunate, but the, really, like I said earlier, what that makes me hopeful for is like really good sequels. Yeah, because like we've we've seen um, Rick recover from like a less than perfect book before. Like Titan's Curse is really good, right? And we know, and like sometimes like the later books in the series can even match the peaks of like our favorites in the series. Like we've we had our 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 you know. Like talking about like, well, what was our favorite book? Was it the Lightning Thief? Was it the fucking mm-hmm. Battle of fucking Manhattan or whatever that last book's called? Uh, last Olympian. The Last Olympian. Uh, I knew that. Um, but <laughs> like, I, I, I'm just hopeful. Most, I, I did not come off of this book with like a super negative impression. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for the best. I guess is what I'm gonna say. I mean, even at his worst, he's like a competent writer. That's right. Like, the the sentences never feel, like, stitched together from awful or anything. There's always something good to be found in these pages. Whether it's a little bit of humor, like, an interesting idea, a cool twist on something classic, like, a, a good character beat. There's just always at least something good. And I, I that really, like, gets me from chapter to chapter in these books sometimes. Yeah, definitely. And I mean... I mean, we could we could be in for a good series. It starts out like very much from the same framework that Lightning Thief had, in that we get to the end of the book and the characters are being accused of terrorism by hysterical mass media. Uh huh. Well, technically, they've been like recused of terrorism. That happens like they get accused of the terrorism first, and then they recant, which is exactly what happened to Percy and Lightning Thief. Well, okay, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you're, you know, I didn't even think of that, but you're, you're exactly right. <laughs> uh, maybe next book there'll be a new Kane sibling with one eye. Uh, there definitely will not be any new Kane siblings because again, like, Julius no longer has a cock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that's true. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think that just kind of took me off my guard. Should we stop? <laughs> Do we stop now? Is that what happens? Is that what you want to end on? Sure, fuck it. <laughs> if you'd like to reach the show, you can check us out on twitter.com slash unwisegirls for all our links to our Discord server, our email, our own personal Twitters. Uh, 
our Discord server. Wait, no, I already said that. Our Patreon. Patreon.com slash unwisegirls. That's a really good place to support us if you've liked us talking about the Red Pyramid and, you know, you've enjoyed our, our discourses. Uh, go over there. You can drop us $1 a month to help out. That's uh, the special Discord role of uh, uh, Doe being, uh, which gives you <laughs> that special Discord role and our appreciation. For three dollars a month, you get the special. You get the. Uh, you get bestowed uh, the honor of having big ba energy uh, in the Discord, and also all of our bonus content. We talk about stuff like Homestuck and Doctor Who, and uh, and and like Hercules and various Greek myth things. Various. We haven't really watched many pieces of like Egyptian myth related things. Maybe we should do that for the podcast. Oh shit, yeah. Maybe we should watch like Prince of Egypt or something. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. Because, I mean, Moses is a canon magician in this series, so I guess it's relevant. That's true. We should do that (laughs) soon. Uh, And we're planning on reading like non kids Rick Riordan books eventually on on that podcast too. Oh, yeah. It's a detective series. Yeah. Um, so if you want to hear any of that, you can go there for just $3 a month. If you'd like to hear about me whinge about queer baiting in Doctor Who and then continue to whinge when the ships are made canon, that's the place to go. That's right. Uh, for $5 a month, you get a Bast Headpat Pass. Uh, use it wisely. She's back from the Giot now, so you can use it. You can, luckily. You also, of course, also get all of our bonus content. And a special thank you at the end of episodes. Mm-hmm. And you get to hear Jane yawn. Speaking of... Uh, <laughs> unless you edit it out. Uh, speaking of which, this week we'd like to thank Mercy, Veronica, Friend, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And, as we always say, at the end of every single episode... See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Bye! Bye! Thank you.